0: Howdy, BHR Sears. You can find every episode of Why People on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever else you get your podcast content. On this Why People episode, episode number 11, we'll talk to Andrew Suchoff, who's the Chief People Officer of Foundation Medicine. Uh, he's been a great supporter of the Boston HR Council and a really, really interesting conversation relative to his journey into the HR executive world. Let's get to it. <music> All right, Hello, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Why People podcast. Uh, Why People is a Boston HR Council production. For those new, new listeners, the Boston HR Council is one of the largest HR and people executive communities in the world with over 1,500 chief human resources officers, chief people officers, and VP of HR Council members. Uh, joined by co-founder of the BHRC and co-host of the Why People podcast, Paul Roberts. Hello, Sean. Great to see you. Very excited for today's episode. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. And excited to introduce our guest today. Uh, Andrew Suchoff is the chief people officer at Foundation Medicine. Uh, also very instrumental in the creation uh, and kind of the steerage of the Boston HR Council. So, Andrew, thank you very much for joining us. It is a pleasure to be here. I can't believe 1,500 members. 1,500 active uh, director level and higher members. Uh New wow. England, Florida, Texas, LA—we have some global. It's uh, it's been pretty cool.
1: You both have created something that did not exist many many years ago. You should feel really proud of that. Oh, thanks, Andrew.
0: And we owe a lot of kind of the the thoughtfulness and Hey, have you thought about this or maybe don't think about that to to you? So we appreciate your guidance along the way.
1: Thank you very much,
0: Andrew. We're excited to have this this conversation, and I know we chatted um, on the pre-call a bit that you've seen you know a little bit you know you know, bits and pieces uh, of some of the previous episodes. Uh, but really, we we approach the conversation in the same way, and it goes, you know, wildly different every time, which is really, I think, the cool part of the show. But uh, we're really interested in the feedback we've gotten from the community is folks want to know, um, you know, with chief people, officers, and CHROs, hey, you know, what about kind of your early on, you know, your early life um, set you up for, you know, for for this type of work? a little bit about the career pathing that landed you in that top seat. Um, and then, you know, left the chat on the back end about, you know, how we're thinking about the future and for her, perhaps some advice for folks that, that are dreaming about one day being in the C-suite. So all that said, Andrew, you know, do you want to maybe help, you know, root us in, in your background or
1: your, you know, the early days of, of Andrew Suchov? Sure. Um, I, I won't start with, you know, the date of birth and when, where I was born, but I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give you kind of just a high-level overview of my career, right? My my career has really been a combination of, um, I'm going to pa- call it both public environments and private equity environments, crossing a variety of different um, industries. So I've been in consumer goods, I've been in healthcare, I've been in pharmaceuticals, and I've been in biotech. I kind of categorize my career um, in growing up in two companies. So I started at the Gillette company. I was at Gillette for about 13 years or so. I was really fortunate. I went to Northeastern University. I went through the co-op program. Um, I did a co-op, um, few co-ops with Gillette when I was in my undergrad, and then had the opportunity to continue working with them after graduation. My background's a little bit unique. Um, I'm a finance guy by background and spent about 12 or 13 years with Gillette in different finance roles, covering financial planning, cost accounting, and then one of the re- roles that I had um, at Gillette was manager of benefits global design. And that actually provided me the exposure and experience to get in front of some of the HR folks, because it was still a financial role, um, clearly one of the biggest elements of a PL, right? The cost of benefits, but it started to provide me exposure and experience to HR leadership. And as I started to get exposed to HR leadership, um, they started to, again, guys, this is probably, you know, a I don't want to age myself, but a long time ago when HR was a little bit more health and welfare, um, I brought a more analytical, methodical, systematic approach. And they kind of said, hey, this is interesting. Maybe we can put this guy into an HR role. Um, At Gillette, um, I was given an opportunity to move to Singapore. And that really was the first entryway into my real first operational role within HR. And they took a big chance on me. Funny, funny story is when they brought me into the office and said, Hey, would you be interested in moving to Singapore in an HR role? We think that you've got some really kind of good attributes that would really help the HR organization thrive. I said, sure, where? And they said, Singapore. And I said, absolutely. Went back to my office, called my wife and said, where's Singapore? Um, cause we, we may be moving there. So um, little by little, I got further exposed into HR. I was in Singapore, then I went to London and I ran HR for the UK and Ireland. And and I was ready to come back um, to the United States. And one of the great things about being an expat is Um, you get great experience, but also I came very atypical from the HR organization, right? So Gillette said, Hey, here's an opportunity to come back to, you know, I'm going to call it manager uh, of compensation and that's not where I wanted to be. And so I left, I went to, um, work for Sirono international. I moved to Switzerland, um, and ran a variety of different global HR roles there. And that's really where I, I continue to thrive within, um, within HR. And also where i got the taste and the bug for being in life sciences biotech and and from there i've spent a variety of different roles within um uh, diagnostics within early stage biotech and now most recently at um, foundation medicine where we do comprehensive genomic profiling on cancer
0: thanks for thanks for the background andrew and geez i we've chatted quite a bit we've become you know friends over the years uh there was there's parts of that story that i didn't know um so really interesting, a couple of notes I wrote down here and, in, in, in some questions based on what you shared. Um, I guess the first one is, and you, you kind of, um, you know, you caught to it. You know, this, this was uh, Gillette was, uh, was some, some years ago, I, I guess. That's being kind, Sean. I, so my first question is, um, as a finance person, and just given the fact that, um, that every one of your peers that we've had on the, 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 the podcast has chatted about how the HR and people function has really ascended to a true, you know, a true pillar of the executive team and the executive thoughtfulness of an organization wasn't, wasn't always necessarily viewed that way. So I'm just curious as a finance person presented an HR opportunity, what was the initial kind of uh, gut reaction or or, or how how did you think about
1: HR and people at the time when you were asked? It's such a great question. I mean, very candidly terrified, right? Because I had never been in, in an HR role. Um, so I thought, um, am I, am I a one-stop-shop one kind of guy, right? So it, I had been in finance for 12 years. I didn't know anything other than that. But then when I started to explore the opportunity, I realized that just like that analytical mindset, that systematic, methodical kind of theory approach um, and the ability to, and, and I say, I would say this is really critical for anyone who wants to go into a senior level HR role, is understanding the business, being able to talk about a P&L, understanding the, the, the drivers of what ultimately impacts an organization's ability to be successful. Um, it, you can be a more impressive, you can be a more well-rounded, professional when you have that analytical mindset, when you have that financial backing, when you have that financial thinking, um, and a, a much better professional, a much better collaborator um, and partner to your CEO or executive leadership team. So for me, I thought it was a huge opportunity to get outside of my comfort zone um, and see if I could be successful. Never mind the opportunity to live overseas um, was was super exciting.
0: Well, that was that was my next question, Andrew. So, just kind of going by the the timeline um, that you had had chatted about, it's interesting because a lot of a lot of community members in the BHRC have been somewhat thrusted into a globally focused role in the last three years because of you know how how much easier or, or, or how lower that barrier is given the technology and given what the the pandemic showed us, right? So, there's a lot of folks that that were US centric and now have folks globally, whether their operations went globally or not, that's entirely different. But we have a lot of kind of questions coming in about, hey, I, I'm now global, what you know? What advice do you have or who can you connect me with? It's interesting in your uh, situation, Andrew, where your your first exposure to HR was global. So my, my question was the FP&A work you were doing before the HR work, was there a, a large global element to that um, or was the jump into the, the global HR work your first kind of taste of, of global and
1: different cultures and, and things like that? Just by the nature of working at Gillette, right, it's such a global organization. So I had exposure in regards to the complexity of the operation and, and global pieces of it. But my real exposure to having global direct reports was in the global benefits design world. Um, I had various different finance members from various different markets um, dotted line reporting into me when we were looking at how do we pool benefits? How do we get the most out of um, the size of Gillette and capitalize on that? And one of the biggest initiatives I did before I left at Gillette was look at benefit designs across Europe. The DB plans, at that point, it was defined benefit plans, to find contribution plans um, and see how could we capitalize on that and how could we leverage this? And ultimately, um, have savings across the European market. So that was kind of my first exposure to real global, real uh, real global role. It's interesting though, when you say like people are becoming just more global by the nature of their role, or, um, it's hard to take on a global role. Um, the cultural nuances, the sensitivities, the tolerance, um, it's really important to, um, assimilate and understand what are the norms in these various different markets versus not norms. And let me give you a great example. So I remember my, one of my first meetings in, um, in, when I was in Singapore, sitting in Indonesia and I had HR mark HR leaders from various different markets reporting into me and I was sitting there on stage and I had my, my feet crossed. Um, and I had the sole of my shoe exposed to the audience and. I could tell all of a sudden, like the, the the climate in the room changed. And we took a break, and then someone came up to me from either Malaysia or Indonesia and said, We just need to let you know that is like the most disrespectful thing that you can do here. And it was an aha it was an aha moment for me in the sense of I have a lot of learning to do in regards to ensuring my credibility and building relationships and whatnot. So it's so critically important to understand those nuances um, market to market, and they exist in every single market. Yeah, and and outside
0: of leaning on teammates or um, constituents from that area, Andrew, is there, a, is there an easy way to,
1: to find out what you don't know? Ask a lot of questions. Never be afraid to ask questions. Never be afraid to ask for help. Also, there's this book, um, there's a book around, um, I forget what it was called, but um, in different markets. Um, And when you're an expat and you can read that and it's kind of like the 101 for going into that market, the 101 for going into London, the 101 for going into Asia. And it's interesting, Sean, because I would say in some regards, London was my hardest assignment. And you would think, oh, it, it should be the easiest because everyone speaks English. Um, but the, the way of working there was very, very different than, um, I was used to the way to build relationships was much harder. Um, breaking down silos and, and kind of barriers with people and building trust was very different than it was within Asia. So each place, different challenges, growth opportunities, both professionally and personally. Oh, that's great. And we'll, uh, We'll, we'll find that book and, and throw
0: a link in the, throw a link. In
1: yeah, the book. I gotta, I, I have to, it, it's like cultural shock or, or culture shock Asia or culture shock, something like that. I, I can find it for you at some point. It's again, many years ago now.
0: Well, Andrew, a question we, we ask most folks to come on is, um, and I, I'm interested in your answer based on, um, the, the, the somewhat of a pivot you took career wise, um, anything in your, I guess in your educational career that you look back now uh, and has provided um, a back a backdrop or, or some foundation into what you're doing that at the time you, you you really didn't realize that it would? Like an aha moment? Yeah, or a course, you said, geez. So- well of course. course. I, at the time it's like, I, 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 okay, but now right. you look you're like, geez,
1: I, 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 I used a lot of this, you know? All right, Sean, I, I don't remember what I had for dinner last night, so new <laughs> year. You're asking me to go back to courses? Uh, Probably not. Um, I had some aha moments in my career that absolutely have impacted me. The first is, and this I would say to anyone from a standpoint of learning um, and and taking on increased roles and responsibility, be a good listener. Um, I was not a good listener early on in my career. I interrupted people all the time. And someone said to me, make sure that you practice weight. Do you know what weight is? Why am I talking? And that is something that just has stuck with me. And if you can be a good listener and listen not to provide an answer, listen to listen, really powerful. That was an aha moment for me. Not a course, but definitely something that I've taken with me along the way. Um, I would say the other thing is, and if you want to call it a course, maybe there is a course like this now is vulnerability. How can you be vulnerable, how can you be empathetic? How can you decompartmentalize your professional world, your personal world to break down those barriers? Uh, Ten years ago, 20 years ago, everyone wanted to be seen as knowing it all, right? And 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 never being or being afraid to say I don't know it and 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 dehumanizing that. And and I was so guilty of compartmentalizing my professional world and my personal world. One of the best things I think that we can do and I think actually COVID has done is Personalize the workforce in some ways, um, and how do you how do you capitalize that and leverage on that? If you can have vulnerability and authenticity and empathetic leadership while still holding people accountable, I think it's a special sauce. Yeah, Wow, that's great, Andrew.
0: And yeah, I I, I don't I'm not sure if there's actually a formalized course around it, but I know there's a lot of stuff out there. So yeah, that will be a, another good one to link for, uh, for us in the in the comments. So so thanks. This is great. So we have kind of a background of of kind of your early on journey, Andrew, and and a question that I would have to maybe help us tie it to tie it together from a career perspective is can you walk us through a guy that was um you know had a pretty unique skill set in a finance role at Gillette to um the person that leads the HR and people function at at Foundation Medicine, which, you know, is a super highly regarded organization, not only in in Greater Boston, but New England and, you know, around the world. So can you help us? you know, map um how you make that decision to move into HR and 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 kind of the journey that brings you to the, you know,
1: the, the head of the the table, so to speak. Yeah. So just to make sure I fully understand your question in regards to like how do you go from a financial into HR or what are the skill sets that are similar? I just wanna make sure I really answer your question.
0: Yeah, I guess I guess really just more really interested, Andrew, in, in a timeline perspective, um like like what were some of the the important moves that that led you to
1: um the executive position. Okay. Uh, again, the executive position and and just to be super crystal clear, like I'm still learning, right? And and that's something I would also say to 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 everyone. Like if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're not. Always thrive to be learning. Always thrive to take opportunities and risks. And I think that's something that is, is really critical in no matter what role you're in, whether it be finance or in an HR role and continually striving to, to develop or grow within your career. But one of the best things I would say is learn the business. Um, and, and learning the business means a lot of different things. Like we, we work within a commercial organization, get out in the field, understand your customer, understand your product and understand your value proposition. If you can do that, and then you can sell that, and you can have synergies in regards to the role that you play to the business objectives, and you can be tangible about that. That is going to be a a, a value pl- that's going to be a value proposition for you.
0: Into that, and Andrew, when when like me looks at your career, right? You started at Gillette, and I know you made a, a transition. You know your um, the, the global benefits role, but is there a way that you um, that you learned the business? You know, were you a a student of the business where you're were you trying to find as much information as possible? Was it
1: long fly in the no, that's No, that's a, that's a really, really good question. Um, first off, I carried a bag. Like, so I, I wanted to do some rotational assignments and I carried a bag for a little while at Gillette, right? So I did some sales assignments. Seek out people who are experts within their role and their discipline and understand how you, meaning the role that you play can help them be successful. Really, really important. What can you do to help others be successful? Um, Understand what their key success factors are so that you can drive and marry towards some of those things. Um, I'd say the one other thing is never be afraid to ask for help. And people are often afraid to ask for help. Um, It's one of the most powerful things you can do. Um, Ask for help. Do not be afraid to say, I don't know. That's also something early on in my career I was not good at. Like, I always wanted to have the answer. I'd always felt I needed to have the answer. Don't don't always feel like you need to have the answer. Um, and make sure that you know, make sure you know individuals who do things better than you so that you can learn from them. Tap into that expertise.
0: Yeah, that's, a, that's great advice, Andrew. And it actually segues into the question I had next. The Boston HR Council community, like we talked on the, on the, on the, on the front end, it's, it's grown. It's, 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 it's a whole lot of folks. There's a, there's a, you know, I'm just ballparking here, but I want to say there's 400 or so folks in the, in the VHRC that are vice president of fill in the blank center of excellence, right? They, they, they lead a a COE at an organization. Uh, They are, you know, subject matter experts and and they really kind of um oversee you know that you know said function and we've chatted with a lot of them that said hey we have no interest in ever being a a chro or a chief people officer for fill in the blank reasons uh, geez the breadth of it kind of isn't you know isn't who I am uh I, I really like kind of staying in my lane I'm just you know a question to you. Was that ever something that you considered? Um, was kind of, was being in that that C-suite position always of interest? And, and how do you think about that? Just, I guess, point
1: of view. Yeah, I, so everyone's journey is so different and personal, right, from a standpoint of where you are professionally, where you are personally, where you have the most um, passion. You've gotta go where you have the most passion. So for example, I am not a benefits guy, sorry guys, but, benefits just does not excite me. Um, I knew I never wanted to be ahead of comp and ben. I love comp, right? Because it's my finance background. Um, but I always wanted to gravitate toward a role that was more broad. And that's one of the things why I left the finance organization. I felt it was a little bit too myopic for me. I didn't feel like I was having a broad enough impact on the organization. And the the other thing is you have to if you're going to be in this chr role c level role whatever you want to call it you've got to love leading people you've got to be you you have to recognize how important that role is and what you say what you do impacts individuals not only individuals but their family right and and, and never underestimate that impact of how you're how you're molding individuals it's it's an honor um, but you've got to want to do that. And you've got to you've got to have servant leadership. You've got to want to do things better for others than you want for yourself. And I, I, I'll say one other thing, Sean. The, the, there is an incredible amount of value, though, in having some type of specialist expertise when you are a CHRO. Um, there is some benefit of understanding like, okay, I really understand comp. Um, or I really understand talent acquisition, but you don't have to be an expert in everything. What you have to do is bring in people who are super good at what they do and make you better. Great advice,
0: Andrew. And Thanks for that. So, kind of the the back end of the of the episode here, um, Andrew, and we we kind of root that in um, in the future, right? And I know just in in a lot of you know times that we've chatted um, that you're someone that does think about the future a lot. You know, not only relative to you know, your own organization, but just, you know, as far as the function in general. So what are your thoughts or, or how do you think about your
1: role um moving into the into the future? My role personally or just like the discipline of HR and the and the charter?
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd say more I'd say
1: the the latter more more broadly, um thinking. I, I worry a little bit about the workforce today. So let me just kind of walk you through this. Five years ago, working from home was a luxury right you had to ask for approval and um and and you were seen as if you're working from home that you were really just taking a vacation day but it was a rare it was rare right i'm worried that sometimes we're moving a little bit too far on the pendulum in regards to entitlement people i feel are a little bit too entitled sometimes right now in the sense of we're asking you to come back 2 days 3 days a week. Let me let me be super super clear. I never want to go back 5 days a week. I think there is huge value in the flexibility. I also think there's huge value though in the connection, collaboration, and the culture that being together brings, the ideation, the brainstorming, things of that nature. And I do worry that there is a little bit of an entitlement attitude across the board right now in regards to people's expectations. So, how do we how do we normalize that again is really important. The other piece I would say is I think that COVID personalized the workforce. Um, a lot of people say it depersonalized the workforce, but for example, right now I'm looking inside your home, right, or or maybe your office. Um, I'd never have that opportunity. Um, I don't want to lose that. Like th- that that connection, that personalization is really important, and that worries me that we we could lose that as we go back. That's something that's on my mind. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is on my mind. I don't know what that's going to look like in another five years, but how do we continually drive the, the need for diversity of thinking, the sense of belonging, safe space? I, I continually want to get better there. I want to push myself there. I think everyone should push themselves in that regard. I talked a little bit about this I, I worry that leadership isn't empathetic enough and authentic enough and sincere enough um and and I think sometimes people worry that or 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 confuse empathetic leadership with lack of accountability you can do both um, and I think leaders have to continually focus on holding people accountable having that metric driven approach. But doing so with an empathetic lens—that is important to show that sense of vulnerability as as we continually as we lead and and some of the challenges that we have in as we as we move forward. One last thing I would say: work is hard, right? And. One of the things that I always think about is like, oh, when you go on a vacation, you, you you have a great memory. Or when you go to a wedding or you go to a reception or something, you have a great memory. When you think about work, do you think about times where you're like, oh, that was such a great memory or something that really stood out? How can we create memories for people? People choose to work at an organization. They have a choice. How can we continually create a memory for them so that they recognize that we see them differently as humans. We see them differently as people. And not only create that memory, but how can you bring it home? One of the things that people don't realize is the support system is so critically important in people's decisions. How can you how can you continually um, ensure that you're attracting, you're nurturing, developing, and engaging people and also bringing it home? So for example, how do you personalize thank you notes? How do you personalize someone's efforts. I'm a big believer of handwritten notes. Send them home because you know why? They're going to go home and say, that Andrew was a man. He is hard to work for. Then they're also going to say, wow. Or the family member is going to say, have you ever had a handwritten note sent from someone? Has anyone ever thanked you for a job well done or created a memory? Those are the things that worry me because leadership is hard, but it's, it's, it's actually more simpler than we actually, that we can make it more simple just by being good people and being authentic and kind. And and it, that that is something that we all have to focus on um, and and ensure that we're impacting people um, in a positive way.
0: Yeah, uh, thanks for sharing, Andrew. I, I think that's an amazing piece of advice. And it, it brings us to the last question here on the episode. And, and something something that we ask everyone is, Um, what is your advice to the person listening to this that just landed either their first HR role, or perhaps they were pulled up to their first director level position and has had a, an aha moment and said, you know what, I love this. I would love to be in charge, you know, um, in the charge of, of a whole function in a CHRO role
1: someday. What's your, what's your advice to that person? Pretty similar to some of the things I talked about early on, go in and listen. Um, understand the business, understand what the chief executive officer needs and the executive team needs from, from you. And how can you be helpful for them to be successful? I would use weight. Make sure when you're talking, you're making a point, not just to be heard. There's a great saying that says, don't strive to, um, make your presence notice, strive to make your absence felt. Um, and that is something that if if you're not in a room and people recognize that, that's powerful. That's awesome, Andrew. well, This has been great. Um, the conversation
0: has been great, Andrew. Uh, I know we really appreciate it, and, and the community appreciate it, uh, appreciates it. So, uh, thank you so much for joining us, and we're looking forward to, to to seeing
1: you in person out
0: there at some time in the future.
1: Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciated it, and really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> Uh, let's take a second, think back, think
0: back, think back. My, 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 my physical frame is celebrating cause I made it